You're listening to the Legacy Investor Podcast. Podcast, where we focus on real estate, business, and mindset. Our guests will share their experiences, lessons learned, and actionable advice to help you get to the next level. Now for today's show. Hey guys, real quick, thank you for tuning in. I wanted to bring Mark on the podcast because he's a wealth of knowledge on the construction development side. Uh, works in Boston, which is one of the most difficult areas you can develop in. Uh, many large developers in Boston really lean on Mark for his uh, expertise as an owner's project manager or OPM uh, to guide them through the process and ultimately build better quality buildings, save money, and do it in a timely manner. So in our discussion today, uh, we review some of the lessons learned we took from working, both of us are working at a large construction management companies. We both come from the CM world and really how that can be applied on a smaller scale in the residential world, the buyout process, change orders, how we're finding great contractors in our markets. So again, we're in different markets. He's up in Boston. I'm down in Rhode Island. Uh, we go into depth about how he finds the developments that he's working on now, putting estimates together how he manages subcontractors in the field, construction technology and software, quality and construction, in-wall documentation, all that good stuff. We cover a wide range of topics, uh, but during the recording of the intro, we're getting some feedback. So we had to cut a small section of Mark's background out, but to quickly catch everybody up, uh, Mark had a degree in construction management in Boston, went to work for a large, well-known GC in the city, then went over to a development shop. He started his own company, Choose Boston, kick things off with some smaller projects and is now building some really unique, larger scale multifamily projects in the city. So without further delay, please enjoy my wide ranging conversation with Mark Sadatsky. Yeah, I've been doing my own thing now for about 10 years. I still I still work part-time with, uh, with that larger development shop and uh, do some owner's rep work. And I have my brokerage license and about a half a dozen actually uh, realtors, sales agents who, are, who work under me and with me. Um, and so stay stay pretty busy. It's good stuff. So, Mark, most of I think the folks that are going to be listening to this um, probably based in Rhode Island um, have some experience managing their own properties, managing their own renovations, whether it's turns, etc. Maybe have some ground up experience. But what I really want to key in on here today is just lessons learned and things that you know maybe you and I picked up over the years doing our own projects. Um, on larger commercial scale, but also on the residential residential side as well. Just starting in the CM world and working for a large construction company, um, talk about your experience there and what you know the common things that you took from that into the residential side. It's it's, it's a big question, but um, I know there's definitely a couple of things that I'm I brought with me. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm interested in in, in your what you see as the overlaps there. Um, it's funny though, because you know I like to think of working in like a large organization that's very well run um, versus like kind of an open shop, small residential world is like the difference between playing in um, the the New York Philharmonic Orchestra and uh, a jam band in somebody's basement. There's not really a conductor, you know. Nobody can really read notes. So terrific that you can, but if everyone around you can't. You know, I'm glad you wrote that in the contract. No one read it, and good luck enforcing it. So, oh, that's all. It's a lot more personality at play uh, on the smaller projects, um, relating to people, making sure that you have a meeting of the minds and a handshake and an understanding, and that you're treating people well, and they'll treat you well in response. It's a lot less, uh, you know, counting nut bolts and washers 
uh, as, as I often felt like on, on the bigger stuff. So what yeah. about you? What, 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 what's your general? The clear thing was that when you work for a large company like that and you do, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, in one job or a couple of jobs, it's you, you get a different reaction and a response. Right. So you, we have a much larger bidder pool. There are folks that have been working with the company for years and years and years. It's a lot easier to get answers, get responses, stay on schedule, right? And you have this big organization behind you. I think for me and my time there, it's the procedural thing. So not necessarily doing things on the large scale that we would do to say buy out a $200 million job, but maybe still doing some of those steps. So starting from buyout, right? You're going to go out and get a number of bids, but also you're going to level those bids. So what that means is you're going to make sure that all the bidders are carrying the same numbers, right, for the folks that are listening, the same things in their bid. So those numbers that they carry, it's like apples to apples comparison, right? So you're still going to do that on some smaller scale, right? I know, Mark, you're going to go out for several quotes depending on your packages. Mm -hmm. And not coming from a construction background. So I went to school for engineering. I never got taught construction management. I did work in the field swinging the hammer when I was younger. So I knew basic practices of construction and building techniques. But really the technical stuff um, I thought was super valuable. Um, So again, the whole pre-purchase process, scope reviews, and then actual getting into insurance, which you need to look for, yeah. right? Always yeah. important. And then bringing it to the field, right? And communication. So, yeah. yeah. On buyout, I'll add to that. Like um, even something as small as uh, getting an agreed upon wage rate. Uh, you know, if there's an extra, what's your, what's your hourly cost for a foreman or a carpenter? Um, if there are yeah. ad alternates, things that you think you may be contemplating buying or not buying, you know, make sure you have a deduct uh, or a clear ad at the outset when you actually have leverage over some of these conversations. Um, and, and then even markup. So if there is to be a change, you know, is there to be an agreed upon maximum uh, markup below the line? Um, so those are, are a couple things, even from the bigger shop that I would take with me on smaller contracts. So, you know, as mentioned, in both of our firms had a pretty heavy union presence. Yeah. Not going to see union subs on our on our resi jobs right. speak to a little bit about just kind of high level you have a new build coming up how are you finding your contractors what are typically your sources and then how are you vetting those um so one thing is just network right like we have a group of like-minded real estate developers who are doing similar things and we all really benefit from each other's knowledge and experience so i might have an incredible um, framer, my friend might have an incredible plumber and it's almost like trading business cards. You know, I might call Dan and say like, Hey, you know, I really, I'm looking for an HVAC guys. There's somebody good you could recommend. And that warm introduction, that referral, um, it means everything because the, now there's a source of accountability. You know, it's like, Hey, if you screw me, you're also screwing Nick who put his good name on the line and said, you're the man. So, um, that, that helps a lot. And I think that we've sort of at this point, build something of an all-star team. Um, there's still players that kind of get traded and pulled off the bench um, or put back on the bench. But by and large, I feel really good about um, the lineup of guys that, that I'm sort of working with day in, day out. That's so important. I feel like, you know, folks are going to get one or two just rock star contractors and they're going to hold them tight to the vest. Yeah. And maybe the fear is that, well, if I give this guy or girl up to this other fellow investor, they're going to get too busy, then they're never going to service my jobs. Right. 
So how do you kind of get around that, right? Yeah. I mean, something I think about, and honestly, um, I don't do enough volume to keep these guys busy all day, every day. So right I get really good service from these guys because I, I often will. I'm very liberal about giving out uh, their name. It's it's something where um, you know they know me as a source of referrals and, and, and work from others. And for that reason, I get good prices and I get good service amongst others, I should hope. Um, yeah. But you know, sometimes they will sort of like grow past me and, and that's great. Maybe I'll need to find a, a, a new site contractor one day because um, they're really busy and they're taking work for guys doing 30, 40 unit buildings. I hope that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I guess, my short answer to that. So Mark, I think just your basic contract docs that you're using on the smaller resi scale. I'm, and I'm going to start with the, with the scope of work. And this can go in a couple different directions because number one, I think everybody, no matter what size job you're doing, if you're hiring somebody, you need to both be on the same page as to what's being completed. You know, one walk through the job and expecting that everybody's going to remember what you talked about, um, that you wanted this thing replaced or that replaced. You know, they go and look at three or four jobs in a day. The chances of them remembering your specific situation and everything you wanted is pretty slim. So scope of work, you're going to want to detail exactly what you want them to complete. Now, that's going to vary based on the size of your job, if you have an architect involved, what kind of design documents you have. So on your builds, Mark, so say, you know, some of your new condos that you're building now in Dorchester, go through that process of, you know, after you got the drawings and the design docs from your architect and, and engineering team, what's kind of your next step to bring on your, your subs? Um, you know, I'm certainly going to center on those drawings and every. I'll never email something just blindly. Hey, Nick, please see attached link to my, my Dropbox folder with all my CDs. You know, the easier I can make it for you to digest what I'm asking you to do, it's, the better it is for me. So I might even call out the five drawings, five pages that I think are really important for you. I might bullet out an email, uh, the things that I'm looking for you to price, things that I think might be unique. And I'm also going to call you and have a conversation with you and maybe even ask for a screen share. Like, hey, will you jump on a Zoom with me and let's just go over what I'm looking for here. Um, so I, I'm big on that. You're just to, to say like, you know, if you have an employee who says to you, yeah, Mark, I sent it out to, to 12 different bidders. No one's really getting back to me. I've only got one price. <laughs> I mean, you check the box and maybe technically you're correct, but you're still not going to get results and that's not acceptable to me. I think you put a post about this recently. There's, there's too many, what is it, the box checkers? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Right? Like, oh, we sent to 12 bidders, but nobody responded. Like, number one, I don't know, your email was generic and they probably just looked at it and whatever. But if you're calling out specific, or you sent them a 200-page design doc, right, Dr- yeah. set of drawings, you know, you expect them to thumb through it and, and figure it out, so... You got to keep that communication open. Yeah, I mean, that's even going back to the big GC world where we had software that could send out, uh, not 100, but 1,000 invites yeah. to bid you know, across the board. These things are just spam, essentially, unless there's a human connection to it. And somebody who's going to say, like, look, amongst those drawings, this is the one that I want you to look at. You know, this is when it's due. This is a schedule. Call me, you know. So, so that's, yeah. that's something that has been drilled into me uh, for a long time. And actually, what, what really ha- happens, right, when you send that list out, your bid list, the folks that 
that company works with regularly, they're going to call their inside person, whoever in purchasing at that company yeah. to say, hey, what's the, deal? what's the deal with this? Am I even going to waste my time on this? Mm-hmm. Is it worth my time? Should I chase it? Et cetera. For sure. And, um, yeah. you know, I think a scope of work on the smaller residential stuff, you know, we call it an exhibit B, a specific scope. Um, and on the big stuff, you know, you can often in- attach a drawing log and a specification manual and you you own them and their firstborn child because everything's in there and buried in some note or detail. But on the stuff where we're sort of building stuff off cartoons, an abbreviated set of documents, that specific scope is really important for you to explain in plain English. I'm not above sketching something within my contract by hand and saying, this is how we're installing Windows. Cool? Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, grabbing an excerpt of a rendering to say, this is how the uh, the corners are going to work on, on the facade. Cool. 100%. Yeah. Right. Um, that's fair. Even the details can get so technical, right? So just take like a window flashing detail. Yeah. How many trades are going to be involved? Who owns the ice and water? Who owns the drip edge? Who owns the window? Who owns the sheathing? All those parts and pieces you need to break down in detail. And the scope of work is a good place to, for all those things to live, right? And I used to just take one drawing. So if you're doing a small project, right, and maybe an architect gave you 10 drawings, whatever. You want to take those drawings, and I used to hide t- different color highlighters, mm-hmm. right, and highlight each note saying, all right, I bought this note with this guy. I bought this note with this guy. And it's just maybe one of those practices, again, super helpful to make sure that stuff doesn't get missed. No, man, I worked with a super early in my career and he used to always say, you have to think all the way to Z, like think to the end of the job and almost work, work yourself backwards. So, um, it, and it's tough to do all of those things. If you haven't, it, you know, not to use too many cliches here, but you haven't seen the movie until you've seen the movie. So you just enumerated all these different parts and pieces of, uh, of buying out a facade, AVB window, this type of siding, that type. How about staging? How about access? Um, you know, hours that they're allowed to work? Is there a school at the bottom of the street where you can't take deliveries between certain hours? These are all things that, you know, you might get burned with and, and learn uh, for the next time. So, yeah. So why don't we just use an example here? So let's talk about your new condo project. And we just kind of, we can riff on the things that you've done to prepare, the things you're doing now in construction. Obviously, it's very fresh in, in your mind, even Fresh enough to where you're there today, peeling yeah. tape off the hardwoods, and we can get right. to that. But um, just a little background on the project, Mark. How you found it, what you're building. Go from there. Yeah, sure. Um, so I have two two townhouse projects underway right now. I'll, I'll focus on one of them. Um, I was doing a six-unit building in Dorchester, and uh, there was a single family on a nice piece of land that was directly adjacent to uh, this six-unit building. And had become friendly with the uh, the woman who lived there, and you know you could sort of tell the house was kind of falling in or collapsing around her in some way. Um, so we got to talking. Um, I helped her put some scotch tape on certain things and said, you know, at a certain point, I, have you thought about moving? Uh, this this house needs maybe more than you can give it. Uh, ma- made her a very strong offer, which included um, a zoning contingency. So it allowed me time to secure my entitlements, my permits to build uh, what ultimately was, was four townhouses. And um, once, I, once I got that zoning approval, we closed on the deal and uh, we broke ground there September 1. 
and uh, we should be finished here in uh, maybe late May. So uh, project's going really nicely. That's yeah. So th- I mean, there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot there, right? Yeah. We can get into entitlement. We can get into you know your whole permitting process. But again, I just want to stay nuts and bolts construction. So you brought a design firm out, right? Mm-hmm. You you sat with an architect to go through what you want. You went over, you know, schematic design. This is kind of the planning. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what we could fit on the lot. Let's take it from you got your construction docs and you're sending those out to bid. I'm going to assume, and you're going to correct me. You're going to take a scope of work from a similar job mm-hmm. and you're going to start with that, right? On the plumbing side, MEP, whatever. Whatever package that may be, you're going to take a scope of work from a different job and you're going to tailor that for the construction documents you have. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I think another important facet is, is building your budget. So the challenge is that I'm going to have to commit to a bank, to a lender, and uh, take out a construction loan for a certain amount of money well, well before I've signed up all of those different uh, trades. So mm. how do you get to that budget? How do you carry responsible amount? I mean, look, price per square foot, price per unit. We have to start somewhere. So I might start there. And then I'm going to take a, a similar project I built recently and kind of push and pull. I'll go through each line item from demolition all the way through electrical. And I'll sort of make comparisons like, hey, actually, this is very similar in scope to the last single family house I tore down. That was $30,000. I'm going to keep that. But the plumbing, well, shit, these, this is four units, but there are three bathrooms in each one. The last thing I did was six units, but it was only two bathrooms. How analogous. And, you know, maybe I'll add a few dollars. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll sort of get to a bottom line. Um, I'll look back at that price per square foot, price per unit, give myself a sanity check, and then add a contingency to it, 5%, 7%. And uh, that's the number I'm probably going to publish to the bank. Is that dependent on the level of the documents that you have currently? Or do you always run with the same? You know, I'm not, I'm not likely to have a very, uh, very complete set of documents at the time when I'm, I'm getting my financing for acquisition and construction. There's a world where I could acquire this property and then take my time and then get a construction loan separately. Um, I typically don't do that. Uh, it's, it's an expensive, it's a more expensive way to approach things. Um, mm. and we could go into the reasons why, but so anyway, so establish my budget. I know essentially how much I have in each bucket and now I'm going to go out to my guys and, you know, by and large, I don't bid these things seven ways to Sunday. I might go to two maximum three guys per trade that I really know and trust. Um, and if, if the number comes in and it's within the range of reason, and I know them and I like their work, I'm going to sign them up. If, mm-hmm. if I hit somewhere where I have a problem, and this has happened before, where it's like, shit, I just didn't carry enough money. Like maybe this is a me problem, but I'm just going to start going through the phone book and just call after call. Who do you know? Find the right guy who's hungry for it at the right time. Maybe I need to manage them. Maybe I need to buy all their material for them. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they're going to go out of business and maybe they don't even know what they, but you know, they're, they're, parts of the job where I'm willing to take a, a little more risk. I certainly can't do it on every trade, but selectively I, I might need to make that deal. So I want to pause it there. Yeah. So with just say a new sub that you're signing up, maybe they're referred to you. Maybe you saw them on Instagram. Mm-hmm. They do some nice work, which I always yeah. like to see, right? A mm-hmm. sub that is proud of their work and they'll put it on social media. That's right. always a good first step. But what are you looking for for a new sub when they come on? I mean, obviously you're asking for an insurance cert. 
maybe ask him for some references. What does that look like? Yeah, references. I might ask him for photos of another job. I might ask him if they're working on anything that I can go and walk uh, with them, meet the owner. Um, you know, references much like landlord references, job references are better in terms of quality uh, for the information. If it's not hand fed to me, if you give me a name of somebody who I say, is Nick a good guy? You're not going to tell me, you're going to give me your best friend and I'm going to call him and he's going to tell me, I'm sure everyone would tell me you're a great guy. Oh, but, okay. but yeah, you know, so, so, so references, look at their work, uh, get a copy of their insurance certs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Um, and just a, a tip out there, when I was first getting started, especially on the residential side, there's a thing called Craigslist gigs that you can put out. You can put an ad out there. Um, so you can go actually on Craigslist and post, you know, in the labor section, say, hey, I'm looking for a mason, whatever. And my experience when I used to do this was my inbox would just blow up with folks, you know, looking for extra work. Maybe it was a slow time. I think you got to vet those folks maybe a little bit more than obviously a referral. But it's just one other way that you could get lead on, on contractors. Right. Yeah, you know, or walk um, around the neighborhood. That's always a good one too. See who's building what where, take pictures of vans at a construction site a block away. Um, definitely done that. You know, call those guys. Good stuff. So the docs that you sent um, your trades for your job, you put together scopes, you put together everything they needed, you just send them the docs. You know, I'm right. also not committing in in the world of commercial general contracting, you better be very confident in the final number before you sign a contract with your client, which means you need to buy 80% of the job before a shovel hits the ground um, because you have commitments downstream. You know, whereas if it's my job and, you know, I, for better or worse, I often don't know the total cost of the job until the last nail is driven into the last two by four. Um, because I might wait. Yeah. You know, that's how you get your best prices oftentimes is, you know, sending the job to a painter who may not be able to do a blue beam takeoff or or open an email attack with an FT with a Dropbox link. But if I bring them through and say, hey, we just finished drywall, walk these four townhouses and when you walk out, tell me how much it costs, that's a you get a pretty good price that way. Um yeah. so not a bummer. Yeah, no, I, that's great. And I think a lot of folks um, might think, you know, they see these four beautiful townhouse condos grow up and they say, you know, there must be this hugely sophisticated firm behind it. And they see the big logo and, you know, just way above what I could ever do. But really, it's like, right, it's folks that have some experience that are willing to take the risk and are organized and can can build a team. That's what it is. It's building a team of folks that you know and trust and can deliver. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, having a network around you of guys who have sort of done it before is so important to you because I like to talk about trip wires or landmines. And there's any number of instances and moments throughout a build where you really can step on something and really fuck your, screw yourself. Um, yeah. It, it, most things you can take two steps back and rectify, but there are moments where you can get to the end. And I'll give you a real example. Um, early in my career, I was doing a two family renovation and, uh, the city of Boston requires adherence to the stretch code, which is a certain, which is a set of energy performance specifications that's measured. And you need a HERS rater, somebody who's engaged specifically to test your building for air tightness, uh, duct leakage, et cetera. 
And I finished the whole build and I never hired a hers grader. I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't know I needed to call someone at the midpoint. At the, and I got to the certificate of occupancy counter and uh, they, they sort of looked at me and said like, you're not getting a certificate of occupancy without showing me that you have, you've made these, uh, your building performs to these different levels. It's a, it's a terrible feeling in that moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also just want to point on that. Yeah. So just surprises at the building department. So one thing that we try to do, especially if it's a newer development in a city that maybe you haven't worked in, is take your whatever plans you have, ideas, go and sit with the building inspector. And if you can get with the zoning official, great. Um, but, hey, this is what I'm looking to build. What are your thoughts? Are there any watchouts? Are there any special inspections that I need to watch out for? Again, this is smaller residential stuff that I'm that I'm speaking to, and they'll guide you in the right direction. If you're genuinely there looking for information and um, looking for help, right? That's actually what they're there for. They're not actually around just to go out and fail people on their on their inspections. Yeah, I mean, I would maybe just caution to say, and in a city like Boston, you're not likely to get that kind of service. Like, you're definitely not getting that service in Boston. They're just too busy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, don't ever call. Don't try to email. You literally have to show up in person. And that that's probably true of Boston or the smallest municipality in Massachusetts. You know, it's all about that face-to-face uh, interaction. But um, if you can't get that actual building inspector, maybe it's a it's a friend who just built something similar who has done this a couple times more than you yeah. and have those conversations. That's a great uh, clarification there. So, yeah. I mean, small towns in Rhode Island, I've had incredible luck with that yeah. approach. I've also been a Boston ISD, mm-hmm. and good luck. Yeah, yeah. So you get somebody and, and ask a question. You might get one question, so, but you're not. Ten other people are waiting there, yeah. pulling the guy away. Yeah, yeah for sure. So he's like, yeah, whatever, I'll get to you. Yeah. Right, right, right. Let's go inside. So your walkthrough, your, you know, right now you're in the finish phases. but. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of tips and tricks that you put out there. And if you don't follow Mark on Instagram, definitely do it. You throw some great advice out there on what to do with, you know, setting your forms and your foundations and utilities, et cetera. There's, there's so much to go through. But, I mean, you try to be on site every day babysitting these guys. What's, what's kind of your daily uh, routine over there? Yeah, I'm on site every day uh, in the morning, at least to check in, make sure everybody's questions are answered. They know what they're doing. Um, they're all marching in the right direction. Um, I'm not going to sit there and, and watch. Uh, I'm not going to sit there the whole day. I will check back in around lunchtime. I might skip that and come back at the end of the day. But generally, I like to be on the job for a decent amount of time, at least twice a day. How about software, Mark? So just for folks listening, you know, the larger CMs are going to have very expensive software. I call it Procore is one of the products and maybe a universal name amongst a lot of CMs. And Really, it's the one-stop shop hub for everything construction management. Schedules might live outside of that in a software called Primavera 6. Um, really, it's where design docs live. It's where your submittals live. Your RFIs get processed. Everybody's working out of that. And then an extension of that is a program called Bluebeam, which is a PDF editor that um, I've grown very fond of. Um, and I still use, you know, even outside of that. But Mark, on, on your, just say this, this condo project, what, what are a couple of the apps and softwares that you think make you efficient that maybe you couldn't live without? Yeah. I mean, it's almost disappointing, but um, Dropbox, right? Every, yeah. My whole life is organized in Dropbox and um, I have a typical folder hierarchy for every job where they're populated and I know what's in which folder and I can access, save stuff from my email, open stuff from my phone, um, 
So Dropbox is my number one. Um, I, I'm using uh, Struction Site. That's a cool. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah, so that's that's for um, progress photos. I built so many things where you're going back, something happens. You know, there's a, um, God forbid, someone hits a refrigerant line, uh, your line set with a drywall screw. It's like where, I know where that started at the condenser on the roof. And I know where it ends at the heat pump on the first floor. But like, there's a nail somewhere between that. What route did that line set take? So I might have a thousand photos of line sets in walls in my phone, but that's meaningless because it just looks like it could be any job. It could be your job. So instruction site ties these photos to a place on the plans where you're actually standing and looking and it's a, it's a 360 degree photo capture, much like Matterport. Um, yeah. Which people might be familiar with, but that's one that I, I will, I would not build without. That's phenomenal. And- and there are so many products like that now. I feel like there's yeah. a lot of attention on the construction industry, right? Even to where my most recent job, they now had autonomous robots that would go around the site. Um, it's a company by the name of Nextera um, that really were piloting that on actually our construction site over there in Waltham. And these robots would... They have a docking station, and they're programmed to go out at the end of the day. So they'll come out of their dock around 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, and have a set route around the building documenting exactly what was built that day and automatically upload it to a site that we can go in real time. Wow. Pretty, pretty incredible. And, these, and they had two of them. There was one with wheels, and then there was one on tracks. And both of them could go upstairs. Huh. So they would go around again, all the floor plates, go up the stairs and just document everything. It would take a little while, but they'll go inside rooms. It's, it's absolutely incredible. Um, again, two crazy opposite sides of the spectrum. That's obviously large multi-million dollar commercial jobs down to what, you know, I do and still do sometimes is, you know, in Mark, you alluded to it, your in-wall inspections are critical. And what I would do on some smaller renovations is take a tape measure, run it across the wall, and take pictures of everything that's in that wall. And there have been numerous times where I've referred back to those, whether it's the plaster went over an outlet and I couldn't, you know, we were, we're putting finished fixtures in a room and we couldn't get power to the outlets or the light fixture. And that's because the plaster went over an outlet and we totally forgot it was there. Luckily, we had pictures of all the rough and could with a tape measure, right? So we knew exactly where that was in the wall. So it happened with that. And Mark, to your point, we had some PEX pipe with a nail in it. Again, going back, picture, tape measure on the wall. Okay, it's this far in off the corner, just about, yeah, quality. What else besides um, in-wall kind of quality stuff are you rolling with? Yeah, in-wall and ceiling. Um, My software, I use a lot of QuickBooks just to manage... I probably have a better track of what I owe subs than they even understand what, what I owe them. Um, so they'll call me and say, Mark, how much is left on our contract? Typical. <laughs> I like to tell these guys, like, I'm happy to be your back end office. If you're having trouble finding a part or a piece for a fire alarm panel or for a breaker for a specific load center, like, use me. I'm, I'm here to help. I'll take right. it off your contract, but I'll make sure the part's there. Yeah, so, I'll bill you for it. Yeah. Um, so material, so quick. So we talked a lot about the labor piece, how we're finding folks, what to do when we find them. Material, 
You have a lot of great partners that you always give a shout out to. And this is kudos to you. You are not afraid to shout out the labor working on your job, the folks supplying the material, rising tides, right? Raise all ships. I guess talk a little bit about your material suppliers, kind of your loyalty and maybe how how long you've been going with some of them. Yeah, for sure. You know, the other thing is just honestly like a feeling of gratitude for a lot of these guys. Sounds hokey, but you're out there and you see how hard they work every day. And they're going above Ooh. and beyond all the time. And they're, they're grabbing you and saying, I think I could do this better, even though it's going to take me long. All, all that stuff, man. It's, um, you know, so I, I feel a strong feeling of indebtedness and gratitude to, to a lot of these smaller subs. So back to suppliers. I have a building, a lumber yard. We talk a lot about um, pricing for two by fours and plywood sheathing and God, joists, trusses, everything I might buy from my building materials rep. But so t- to me, it's like, you can save 50 cents, but if you have 12 carpenters out there and you need 75 more two by fours for them to keep moving for the last four hours of the day, I promise you whatever you saved on your two by fours is now gone in that one day. So relationships mm-hmm. matter for that reason. And so like I'll, I'll shout out, I use, I use uh, 84 lumber out of Holbrook and uh, Eric Fitzgerald over there and I have gone back 15 years since I was at Suffolk. And, um, you know, it's not always perfect. We, we both... I get at each other from time to time, but man, Eric, I know that if I call him and say, I have 12 carpenters doing nothing, I need you. He's there. So, Talk about a situation where, yeah, maybe it's two by fours and maybe like runs out whatever little part that you need, right, to keep the train going. Yeah. And that's where, and that's where that relationship's going to come in. Yeah, you'd like to tell, you'd like, I like to train my guys that if it looks like you're running low on two by fours, please let me know at least, at least one day in advance. Um, some of these smaller contracts, it's often a labor only number. Like you're not likely to buy your framing package, for example, furnish and install. Like I buy the lumber, they provide the labor. Um, and that's not atypical for my finished carpentry package, even my hardwood floors. Like I, I, I take care of a lot of the material and it's also how I think I get uh, some good pricing because I I own that risk. So I guess the, the downfall to that is not providing the stuff that they need. And if you miss something, maybe yeah. they're showing up and saying, I can't do my job because you're providing the material and you didn't get me X, Y, Z, right? I've had that happen before. And it's a collaboration where I might have a, a group text with my framer, with Eric from 84 Lumber and me. And, you know, I trust my framing foreman to go ahead and order, you know, two lifts of, of, of plywood sheathing. Um, so... It doesn't need to run through me. We're all kind of in it together. Um, and I sort of instill that in, in my guys. Well, that's good stuff. For the construction side, I want to pivot a little bit. Just talk about the brokerage, what you got going on on, on the real estate side. I think this is something newer where you're, you're actually taking on agents now. And yeah. what's that looking like? No, I'm really excited about it. We have uh, about a half a dozen agents. And, you know, I started out doing real estate sales on the side about the time I left um, commercial construction world, I mean, one of the easiest things to do is just to get your, your real estate salesperson license. It's a 40 hour course followed by an exam and you'll learn something. So I've been selling real estate and uh, very familiar. And uh, so I, I got my broker's license and um, just as an aside, I always encourage guys to go out and get that license. It's like, I've just met too many plumbers in my career and I use plumbers just as a broad example, but where they're using somebody else's master's plumber license and they're 55 years old. And it's just because they never had the gumption to go and get it. It's like, eh, Jim's always pulled my, my plumbing permits and this. And like, 
you will stand on your own two feet and no matter what happens, if it's your master plumbing license, you're going to be good. Yeah. Um, so to yeah. me, that's the same with a broker's license. That's the same as a CSL license, a builder's license. Um, yep. So I, I try to, I try to stay up on those things wherever I can. Yeah. So is the, is the plan to bring on as many agents as you can? Do you want a hundred agents by the end of the year, certain volume, number of houses? Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be a community the way, and it already sort of is growing that way where it's folks who, you know, I don't necessarily see a ton of agents who rely on real estate sales to put food on their plate to, to come to choose Boston as their primary brokerage. But um, guys that are selling a handful of properties a year um, that are in the market that are buying and selling their own product as developers, um, you know, want a, want a favorable split, certainly relative to Coldwell Banker or Keller Williams. You know, I'm getting a lot of calls uh, that way. And I, I think I'm able yeah. to provide a good level of mentorship and support. Yeah. And, and to the point about going out and getting a license, like, Invest the time. It's it's a little bit of money. Yeah, you have some dues every year. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, at least for me, you know, my property management company, obviously, it provides tremendous value. Yeah. Right. And, and it seems like you're trying to make this vertically integrated business, right, where you're building your own stuff. You can sell your own stuff. You can bring on agents that bring on new folks that want to buy your condos. So yeah. good stuff, brother. Well, amazing talking to you. We dropped some nuggets. I'm sure folks can get a ton of value out of it. Uh, how can folks find you? If they want to learn more, need you to be a uh, consultant on their next construction project. Yeah, new owners rep consultant. I'm certainly LinkedIn, Mark Savatsky, or otherwise on Instagram at choose underscore Boston. And uh, yeah. how, about, how about notary services, Mark? Yeah, notary. That's, <laughs> my mom's very proud. That's the, of all the accomplishments. All right. Nick, thanks you. for having me, man. This was fun. You got it, bro. Cheers.